LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart, there was a bit of a tussle, a situation in which they were boxing out on a free throw. And after that, all hell ensued. I think getting hit in the face is one thing, but once you see that you're bleeding, it takes you to another level from an anger standpoint. I think he definitely hit that phase or that stage where he was seeing red and he wanted vengeance. Unfortunately, Luke Walton was fired. The Kings had lost seven of eight games and dropped to six and 11 on the season. I think as the saying goes, if you fire a coach within the first quarter of the season, you probably should have let him go in the summertime so that you could kind of get a fresh start with the new young talent. They have players, it's just a matter of making sure they're getting the most out of all those players that they have on the roster. It seems as if there's a lot of parity within the NBA right now. A lot of teams, organizations, players, fans are trying to figure out who they are. What type of team are they? Are they just riding a hot streak? Are they a team that just plays well at home? Up until game 25, teams are still figuring things out. And then from game 25 to 50, that's when you really get to see the body of work, the travel, the schedule starts to catch up with everyone. And I think that's when you really get to see uh, where teams stack up at. Welcome to the 126th episode of the Pull Up Pod. That's right, 126 episodes. It's currently November 23rd, and on this date in 2018, Brooke Lopez set a record for most three-point field goal attempts without a make in a game with 12 in a loss to the Suns. I'm surprised I don't have that record. I've taken a lot of threes, and sometimes I don't make them. But <laughs> that is not a great record to have, but I do love the confidence in Lopez to continue to shoot. I think that this record will be broken sooner than later. I know what it feels like to be cold, um, missing shots that you would normally make, you know, being able to you know, get it going at any, at any moment's notice. It feels great to be hot, but it doesn't feel great to be cold. Sometimes you just you need an easy basket, whether that's a layup or a free throw. A easy, wide open, uncontested shot is always nice when you're cold. And I think those things kind of, you know, help soothe your mind, so to speak. But when you're missing a bunch in a row, you just got to kind of get back to the basics. You got to kind of hone in on your form. Maybe watch a little bit of clips at halftime or at the end of the quarter to kind of see, you know, how you're missing, why you're missing, and then kind of get back to muscle memory uh, in general. But on a brighter note, the Blazers are on a three-game win streak. Uh, we've been playing extremely well as of late. We've also won eight straight games at home after dropping our season opener, our season home opener against the Sacramento Kings. I think a lot of things are working well for us. Uh, we're defending better, pushing tempo a little bit more, and we've also had some time to practice, which is extremely important in the NBA. And I think I talked about that on one of the last uh, episodes we recorded. I talked about the importance of being able to have practice, to be able to go over things. Besides just watching film, being able to physically walk through things on the court, being able to have some type of live action is important from time to time throughout a season to kind of hone in and tighten up some of the mistakes you're making in games. And I think um, with the road trip that we had, you know, all the back to backs, the five and sevens, we weren't able to practice. We weren't able to really have shoot around and guys were just trying to kind of recover and rehab and, and get ready for the next game as opposed to having you know, two games in between, which is what we've had since we've been at home. We had a back-to-back, -back and then we had two games in between, uh, which was great for rehab, recovery, getting a lift in. I was able to get some workouts in to work on specific stuff. I know a lot of our uh, guys on our team were able to get 
specific workouts and skill work and also skill development while implementing some of our plays on offense and defense and going over schemes and slides and where's the help coming from? What type of pick and roll coverage should we be running? What are we doing with ball screens on the side? What are we doing with the pistol action, which is when they kind of pass ahead uh, and cut through or set a screen? How should we be rotating? Those are the things that we were able to work on, which has allowed us to, to be a little bit more sharp, a little bit more efficient, and get off to better starts. And obviously, at home, we play a lot better because we're able to sleep in our own beds. We're able to be with our family, our friends. We're able to have you know home-cooked meals. All those things are extremely important for us, and I'm thankful to have been able to, to be home for so long after traveling, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten days, another road trip coming up around Thanksgiving where, where we'll be traveling. So I'm thankful to be home. I think areas we've improved in are obviously defense. I talked about that, transition defense, and then uh, late game execution. We, we've worked on you know some plays, being able to put in some more movement stuff to where we're getting movement into pick and rolls, which is important. And I think early on in the season, I think Dame talked about it, we were kind of bogged down because we had ran the same offense for so long uh, where we were just kind of used to how we move, used to the rotations, used to the substitution patterns, used to where we were going to get shots from. And I think with Chauncey, obviously, he brought in a new staff with, with new schemes, new expectations, and uh, new goals for what he wanted us to accomplish. And we all had to adjust to it. And we also had to learn new plays. And I think you know, running the same place for so long, you get used to it, you become a robot and you have to kind of, you know, retrain yourself to learn a new offense and to be able to be comfortable with calling plays on the fly throughout a game in an offense you just learned two months ago. It can be difficult trying to think of plays. And I think we've gotten to the point where we're getting more comfortable with that to where we can get more spacing. We can get more drive kicks because we're able to understand where each player is going to be at and where they like the ball. So I think that's definitely been helpful Chauncey understands that, you know, it's going to be a difficult transition because we're doing new things and we're trying to get better in, in switches, trying to get better in drops, trying to get better in, in shows and hedges. Uh, shows and hedges are when you're at the level of the ball screen uh, as a big when the guard comes off. And I think we're getting there. Nurk's getting better at it. Cody's getting better at it. And Larry obviously is getting better at it, but also is in more of a position to have to switch uh, one through five, positions one through five late in games, which has been very, very helpful for us. Uh, being 17 games in with Chauncey as our head coach, it's been fun. I spent a lot of time with him asking him questions, you know, talking about the game, figuring out ways we can improve, uh, telling him what types of plays we should be running or what we like, what we don't like. And uh, he's a guy who will admit, you know, when he's wrong and he will admit when he's right. And he's not afraid uh, of accountability, not only to hold you accountable, but to take accountability when things aren't going well. And it's something he can improve upon. I think that's what you respect and like about him as a man. You know, he's a, he's a man of his word and he said certain things, you know, in the preseason and to start this season. Season, and you've been able to hold him accountable to those things and he's been able to hold us accountable to the things he wants us to accomplish and I think you know one of the things about him is uh, he'll do whatever it takes to win you know in terms of substitution patterns in terms of play calling um, he doesn't care he just wants to win he wants to get the best out of us and uh, I think from a respect standpoint you respect that about him um, because he respects you as a man and is man enough to have those conversations but also isn't too prideful uh, for feedback isn't too prideful you know when there's certain things we feel like we should be doing that we're not doing or there's certain adjustments that we want to make as players uh, he welcomes that he wants you to kind of give feedback if, if there's something that you don't like if it's something that you think we should do differently, he's constantly saying, please let me know, please voice it so that we can figure out what makes the most sense for not only what I want to accomplish, but for what we feel like we can accomplish as a team. So that's been a really, really fun 
part about this season, uh, obviously. Uh, the, the other cool part uh, about Chauncey is that we have our schedule a month in advance. And I think it's the first time in my career that I've known my off days a month in advance. Being able to kind of plan a calendar out has been helpful for, for my family. It's been helpful for Ashley and my agency planning stuff. And also helpful for your mental, you know, figuring out when you're going to be able to rest, when you should get workouts, when you should get haircuts, uh, when, when you'll be able to kind of plan certain things. And believe it or not, Haircuts are extremely important in the NBA, especially when you got nationally televised games. And our next game will be on national television, so I needed to get fresh for that one. But there's so much more to talk about. Obviously, LeBron James was suspended. I'll get into that briefly. Luke Walton was let go from the Sacramento Kings. Um, there's a lot of great things to talk about in not only our sport, but the NFL as well. So stay tuned to the Pull Up Pod and make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. We're at the 17 game mark for most teams, not even a quarter through the season, but approaching it. And it seems as if there's a lot of parity within the NBA right now. I think a lot of teams, organizations, players, fans are trying to figure out who they are um, in terms of their teams. You know, what type of team are they? Are they just riding a hot streak? Are they a team that's benefiting from a great schedule? Are they a team that just plays well at home? Are they a team that competes on the road? Are they a team that is, you know, mature enough to be able to to handle back-to-backs, to be able to handle sub-500 teams and be able to still get up, uh, be excited to play against, you know, the Warriors of the world and those teams that are towards the top of respective conferences. And I think the cool part about where we're at is that there are a lot of teams who are competing. There are a lot of teams who feel like they have a chance to not only make the playoffs, but to have success in the playoffs. And I think this is good for the sport and good for the game of basketball. But I still think that it takes more than 20 games to to really get a gauge of, you know, what's to be expected of certain teams. I think, you know, it's important that you wait, you know, till at least 20, 25 games uh, because then you've gotten more road trips out the way. You've been able to see teams play at home. You've been able to see teams go to the Eastern Conference and play games. You've been able to see teams go to the Western Conference and play games and get a real sense of, you know, exactly how they're doing and whether or not their schedule is just uh, – indicative of their record and I think looking at you know where we're at we've had one of the hardest schedules in the NBA regardless of travel and if you add our travel into it I definitely think we've had one of the tougher schedules with so many five and sevens and um, six games in nine days you know playing 16 17 games this month having six back-to-backs in the month of November we've been challenged and sitting at nine and eight is obviously not ideal but considering the circumstances uh, where we're at and considering the fact that we've only won one game on the road, I'd say that we're in a pretty good spot. Um, riding a three-game winning streak, eight straight games at home, and in position, you know, to play Denver back to back with Sacramento uh, before having a post-Thanksgiving game against the Warriors, we could set ourselves up to be in a a pretty good spot. But I think it's really important that you kind of you know hold judgment out on a lot of these teams because certain teams are are going through injuries, certain things teams are going through you know rotation changes, trying to figure out you know, when they're going to play certain players and how they're going to play certain players. And obviously you got a team like the Sixers who, you know, was hit with COVID, you know, obviously it started with staff and went down to players and they were missing Embiid. They were missing Matisse. Um, they were missing Tobias and are still missing Embiid. And I think that's impacted, you know, their overall record. So I think it's safe to say that up until game 25, Teams are still figuring things out. And then from game 25 to 50, that's when you really get to see the body of work, the travel, the schedule starts to catch up with everyone um, to where a lot of teams have, you know, 
played a a back to back, a four and five, a five and seven, and have gone through tough months. And I think that's when you really get to see uh, where teams stack up at. But I think it is cool, um, like looking at the league, looking at the balance in east to west, um, the balance in, in in talent across a lot of the different rosters, and and, and how how players and teams have been responding. And then there's a lot of sleeper teams who weren't expected uh, to perform as well as they are so far this season and are playing extremely well. And you look at, you know, the execution down the stretch of games, you look at young players who you didn't expect to necessarily perform well that are, that are doing great things. And I think it's really, really cool to see um, the parity across the league so far. But I, I think that things will eventually change once more games are be, to be played. I think in terms of favorites in each conference, obviously um, the Brooklyn Nets are one of the favorites in the Eastern Conference. And there's still question marks around whether or not Kyrie will return to the lineup or return to their their team. They're sitting at the top at 13-5. The Bulls have been great. Um, DeMar has been terrific for them. Um, Zach Levine, obviously, all-star caliber player, all-star caliber level. Uh, Ball... Vucevic is out right now with COVID, but once he gets back, they'll be in position to do some real damage and continue to. Wizards are a sleeper. Charlotte's playing extremely well. And the Heat, Jimmy Butler's having a career year, 25-plus points, 5-plus rebounds, 5-plus assists per game. Um, looks ex- extremely, extremely lean. He's he's defending. He's doing all the little things. And Tyler Hero is playing great basketball. So those are no surprises in the Eastern Conference outside of the bottom. Um the Warriors, 15-2. and two. I think it's a surprise they're playing this well, but not a surprise that they're a good team because of, uh, obviously, their history, their championship DNA, them being healthy, their younger players having an opportunity to kind of learn, uh, get playing time last year. And the addition of Klay Thompson is looming, you know, pre-Christmas is what it sounds like. And I think based on his game and how he plays, He'll be a great fit for them. He'll allow, you know, some rotation changes for them. He's a guy who's three and D. He's a North-South player. I think I talked about this last time on the podcast, but in more specifics, he's a guy that doesn't need a lot of dribbles to score. He doesn't have a lot of wiggle, a.k.a. East-West game. Um, he's one dribble, two dribbles, pulling up. He's backdoor cutting. He's setting a screen, receiving a screen uh, to get a shot. He's in constant movement, constant flow. And, you know, some of the injuries he's had, I don't think they will affect him because, one, he's taken the time to kind of recover. Two, I know he's trained well, trained hard, and is, you know, in position to, you know, really take advantage of what's around him. And three, he's a catch-and-shoot specialist, a movement specialist who doesn't depend on um, dribbling. He doesn't depend on creativity off the bounce. Uh, he's going to go get it, you know, on both ends of the on both ends of the floor, defensively and offensively. And it's not going to take, you know, a lot of you know Kyrie like wizard wizardly ball handling or Steph Curry like wizardly ball handling. He's going to, you know, get to it. He's the type of guy that can score sixty points with eleven or twelve dribbles in a game. So they've been great. The Suns, you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen straight wins. Uh, Utah Jazz are consistent as always. And I think the Clippers have been a sleeper without Kawhi Leonard playing extremely well. Paul George is playing at an MVP caliber level. So I think there's a lot of teams who are playing well right now. But as I said before, it's early. And with injuries and COVID, you never really know what's going to happen throughout a season. So it's going to be really cool to see where everybody's at, specifically where we are at as a team, you know, once we can start winning games on the road and once we start getting towards that 25 to 30 game mark things will get very very interesting coming up i'll give my thoughts on lebron's fight and the suspension that came with it and we'll open up the mailbag talking about some of the most iconic basketball commercials of all time 
All right, we're going to get into pull up or dish, where basically I discuss whether or not I agree or disagree. And in this case, I am pulling up on this situation right here between LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart. There was a bit of a tussle, uh, a situation in which they were boxing out on a free throw. LeBron and Isaiah Stewart got tangled up a bit. LeBron swiped down, you know, trying to get him off of his jersey, I guess, or his midsection. LeBron, direct contact with Stewart's cheekbone and or eye socket. And after that, all hell ensued to to break out where Stewart began chasing after LeBron. He was held back. He was trying to break free. Um, more teammates were, you know, going in and out of the scuffle. Russell Westbrook squaring up from afar. Um, the PA announcer, you know, repeatedly was saying, you know, fans stay in your seat and remain off the court, you know, because obviously we had a situation, you know, in Detroit some years, some years past, some years ago where there was a bit of a brawl and Ron Artest was involved and a lot of other players were involved. So I'm just glad that this didn't turn into be something bigger than what it was and turn into be, you know, something worse where players were physically harmed uh, or fans were physically harmed and, and players were forced to be suspended longer than what they were. Um, after the game, LeBron James tried to track down Isaiah Stewart and get his number after the game to try to apologize and let him know that the hit was inadvertent. Not sure if he was able to... to to get in contact with him. But as I said before, I'm pulling up on this situation because I think under these circumstances, it's tough to just kind of walk away from a play like that where you get hit and you're bleeding. Obviously, Stewart's reaction was delayed. Uh, it was very, very delayed. I think um, he he was triggered once he seen the blood. I think getting hit in the face is one thing, but once you see that you're bleeding, it takes you to another level from an anger standpoint. And I think that's when he lost control and kind of snapped. I definitely think he blacked out as a person who blacks out on occasion. Um, <laughs> when they're angry, I think he definitely hit that hit that phase or that stage where um, he was seeing red and, and he, he wanted vengeance. I think it's a tricky play. Uh, LeBron definitely intended to hit him in, in terms of getting getting you know his his freedom or his space. He felt like he was in his space and he wanted to be free. I'm not sure if he meant to hit him in his face or not, or if he meant to to obviously put that type of harm on him. But the fact that it happened was a lot, and I think you know the NBA had to kind of step in and, and, and send a message that hey, we're not going to tolerate these types of actions, whether they are on purpose or not, uh, direct or indirectly. Um, blows to the face like that you know there are consequences especially when it causes the type of scene that ensued afterwards so uh, I think the NBA suspended LeBron for a game although I would not like to see him play in Madison Square Garden since they only get to go once a year I'm sure there's a lot of fans are going to be upset I think it was the right call and I think Stewart getting two games because of how he you know reacted and chasing to try to chase him down he kind of created a a bigger situation than what it had to be. I think it makes sense to suspend him for two games. Looking at how younger players view LeBron, I've been in conversations with a lot of younger guys across the league. Um, There's a lot of 19-year-olds, a lot of 20-year-olds, a lot of 21-year-olds, and obviously LeBron is one of the faces of the league. He's one of the greatest players to ever play the game, and he's been around for a long time. But as he approaches 37, I think a lot of younger players look at LeBron the same way you know some of us looked at Kobe or some of us viewed Jordan. Um, as a kid, I grew up watching prime Kobe. I grew up, you know, idolizing Michael Jordan, you know, as a 90s baby, you know, seeing his 97, 98 uh, 
performances at six and seven years old, I still can kind of remember it. And I obviously going back to watch YouTube, like these were like our goats. I think, you know, for a lot of the younger generations, LeBron is their goat. He's he's the the player that they grew up watching. They've seen his, you know, prime basketball years. And obviously he's still very good and still competing at a high level. You know, the Miami Heat, Bron days, those days where, you know, the Heatles, you know, had uh, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, all those types of players. I think a lot of guys that are in the league now were in elementary school and middle school. So their understanding and, and view of him is, is is definitely different. And the fact that LeBron has a son who's in high school who has peers and teammates that LeBron's playing against now in the NBA just kind of shows you his greatness, but also how long he's been in the league and, and how he's going to be one of the first players, if not the first player, to ever uh, be able to complete the father-son duo of the father and the son playing in the NBA at the same time, which is you know quite the feat and, sh- and shows you not only longevity, but also the gene pool and talent in which his son has for the ability to be able to make it uh, into the NBA so fast. The reason I'm bringing up you know, how young guys may view LeBron James is because Isaiah Stewart was born in 2001. Um, so he's a, he's a young up and coming player in this league. He's only 20 years old. Um, he's obviously six foot nine, 250 pounds, but he's 16 years younger than LeBron. Uh, he was the first round pick out of Washington uh, back in 2020. And he was actually selected by the Portland Trailblazers and traded to Detroit. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because he's a younger player in the league um, who is obviously carving out a role for himself and, and kind of establishing who he is as a person. But I'm definitely sure he watched a lot of LeBron growing up, um, especially growing up and in, in, in playing basketball in New York and Indiana. But I just thought that was something that should be mentioned, especially looking at LeBron's longevity in the league and how young the player is that he interacted with. Get the dub, take the L. It's time for that right now. The dub of the week definitely goes to Tyrese Maxey, a guy I'm a fan of. I've been watching him since he was at Kentucky. I think one of his trainers is a, is a good friend of mine who has basically told me a lot about his work ethic, a lot about his approach, a lot about you know how uh, much he cares about the game and that they specifically watch a lot of film on me, according to him, in terms of ability to create space, use the floater, um, and use a lot of skill um, in order to impact the game. And although we did beat them, uh, when we played them most recently, he's been playing extremely well. Um, they're playing the Kings um, as we record this podcast on Monday night. But the last six games, he's averaging 25.7 points per game, four and a half assists, 3.8 rebounds while shooting a blistering 48% from three and 92% from the free throw line. And he's only averaging 1.2 turnovers per game for the season, which is great, especially for a young guard. If you can take care of the ball while having a high usage rate in this league, there's always room for you, but if you can score and take care of the ball and shoot that efficiently, um, you're definitely putting yourself in a position to to succeed. I, I like Maxi. I think he's very good. He's young. He's hungry. He asks a lot of questions. Uh, he wants to be great, and he's not afraid to put the work in, which is a great sign for a young player, especially when you're having success. Um, I think it's important that you continue to stick to the basics and stick to the work. He's definitely competing with Miles Bridges for for the MIP. I think Miles may have a slight advantage because the way Miles was playing to start this season was as unlike anything we've seen. And I think the fact that Charlotte's going to be in position to potentially make the playoffs basically on the shoulders of, of LaMelo, and of Miles will potentially put him over the hump. But I think the Sixers have showed a lot of promise without Embiid and Simmons. I think they've showed that they have a lot more depth than people thought. I think Doc's coached 
um, well. He's gotten the best out of uh, what he has. You know, sometimes having seven or eight players available. Tobias Harris just recently came back. Seth's been out, you know, on and off with an injury as of late. I think he sat tonight with an ankle injury. So they've been forced to play a lot of different players each night. You know, Drummond's been starting at the center. They've been playing their backup rookie at center, and they've looked good. And I think that's that's definitely a good sign for the future of the Sixers, especially when you have a young guard in Maxi, who's showing he can do a lot of different things. Not to mention Danny Green's been out with an injury as well for the Sixers. The L of the week goes to the Kings. Unfortunately, Luke Walton was fired. Alvin Gentry was promoted to interim head coach. And the Kings had lost seven of eight games and dropped to 6-11 and on the season, leaving them in the 12th spot in the Western Conference. Walton was 68-93 and in two seasons as the Kings coach. And the Kings have been one of the worst defensive teams in the league under Walton. This season, they were 26 in defensive rebounding percentage, 29th in paint points per game allowed, and last in second chance points per game allowed. And they had the longest active playout drought in the NBA. They haven't made it since 2006. In those 15 years, the Kings have had 10 head coaches. Gentry will be the 11th since Rick Alderman led the Kings to their last playoff berth. There's been a lot of movement. There's been a lot of things going on within the Kings organization. And I think as a guy who's a big Luke Walton fan, I think it was time, probably time for him to go based on where their franchise was at and where they were trying to go based on all the uncertainty around draft picks, all the uncertainty around what they're going to do with certain players on the roster. But I, I think, as the saying goes, if you fire a coach within the first quarter of the season, you probably should should have let him go in the summertime so that you could kind of get a fresh start with the new young talent so they could kind of figure out what they're going to work with and who they're going to work with from a player development standpoint. I think they would have been better off letting him go before the season. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think some of the biggest issues with this team and the franchise is centered around Draft picks, decision-making, and continuity, I think they've historically, you know, not fared as well in the draft as they probably would like. They've drafted some really talented players, but the players haven't necessarily impacted the roster the way they see fit, or they haven't really gotten the most out of the talent that they've drafted. And I think looking at the decision-making around that, it's caused some influx. It's caused um, some, some depth issues amongst their roster. And I think looking at their roster now, they got a lot of talent. A lot of talented guards. They got HB. They got wings. They got a big who just who just signed an extension in Holmes, and they drafted Davion Mitchell, who I'm a big fan of. But I think they're just kind of figuring out how they how they turn that ingredient into a, a a great meal. I think that's what they're kind of lacking right now. But I think as they continue to make better decisions, continue to draft talent, and figure out the continuity aspect of it, you know, having a a head coach in position, having, you know, the right structure from a front office standpoint. And then you you add that talent to the mix and they get some continuity. I think they'll be a, a very good team to be reckoned with. And I think that they'll find more consistency in their performance because the talent is there. There's no question about it. They're one of the most talented teams in terms of top to bottom uh, from a structure standpoint. They got Fox, they got McLemore, they got Tyrese, they got HB. They have players. It's just a matter of making sure they're getting the most out of all those players that they have on the roster. But I look forward to seeing what happens. You know, Alvin getting a chance to be a head coach, us having to play them this week. I think one of two things can happen. You know, they can play extremely free. Uh, They can commit to Coach Gentry, play hard for him, execute and go on a win streak. Or 
the opposite could happen. They kind of pack things in, understanding that they've lost their coach in the middle of a season. Things aren't going well. They've lost seven of their last eight. And they can start to kind of look forward to the holidays and kind of drift and drift and drift. And next thing you know, the season will be ending in a hurry. So there's there's usually one or two ways teams go. And I'm, I'm betting on them kind of locking in, trusting Alvin Gentry, rallying together around him and trying to to put on, you know, performances each night for not only their the names on the front of the jersey, but also the names on the back of the jersey. Now it's time for the mailbag section of the podcast. And I just want to remind everyone out there to hit us up at Pull Up Pod on IG or Twitter with any questions you guys want me to answer each week. And we'll be answering them on this section of the podcast. And the first question is from at Levinep34 on Twitter. The question is, what's your favorite basketball-related commercial? My favorite basketball-related commercials are the LeBron shoe commercials where he has all the Muppets and he has all the versions of LeBron. And, you know, he has the, the smooth LeBron, he has the older LeBron, he has the kid LeBron. They have all of those ones on the, on the commercial and they're kind of talking, interacting with each other. And it has that old-school song playing in the background. It's just really, really dope. Um, I also like the Muppet commercials between LeBron and Kobe. Uh, those are really cool, kind of going back and forth. And then there's a Kobe Kanye commercial um, that I really, really liked. And it talks about, you know, the importance of the beast and the Mamba mentality and all of those things. I think that was just really, really cool time in the sports world where you were seeing some of you know, the greatest players of all time, like interacting in a way in which you wouldn't normally see them and kind of showing some sense of humor uh, and comedy behind the scenes. Next question is, would you rather be a coach or GM? I'd rather be a GM because a GM has a little bit more power in terms of organizational structure of the roster. Uh, I think having to you know, travel throughout an 82-game season is something that I don't want to do once I'm done playing, especially with a family. I think I am looking forward to you know being a father and being able to do those types of things. And I think a GM allows you a little bit more flexibility and freedom. You also make more money and you have a little bit more uh, of a leash in terms of when you go on the road, when you don't, and you can kind of control the roster. At steady underscore Robin one on Twitter, what's the most underrated NBA city to have a night out in during the season? I think the most underrated city outside of Tampa you know, haven't been in Tampa um, last season because of the Raptors relocating. Um, Tampa's a nice city. I see why Tom Brady uh, went there and left the Patriots. Um, just thought I would say that. But I think Toronto Raptors have a gold mine in Toronto. It's a beautiful place. It's definitely a nice place to visit. Uh, great gene pool, great food, great sports. So I would say Toronto. Who is the most skilled under the radar NBA player? From an anonymous tweet. I think there's a lot of skilled under the radar players. Obviously, Mike Conley comes to mind, a guy who's been in the league for a very, very, very long time. Um, I think he's kind of evolved out of that under the radar, you know, mold because of how much money he's made and because he's an all-star. But I think uh Karis Levert, there's a lot of guys who just have real hoop game um, that I truly enjoy watching. What's a typical Thanksgiving like for me? Any traditions? Well, as an NBA player now, it's tough to have traditions you can stick to because sometimes you're on the road, sometimes you're at home. So it changes, but generally I like a lot of soul food. So turkey, ham, probably going to have some fried chicken. Um, If I'm home, baked macaroni and cheese, collard greens, candy yams, um, dressing, um, sweet potato pie, 
probably an apple pie. Um, if I'm home, home in Canton, Ohio, grandma's going to make some chitlins, some hot sauce, uh, cornbread, and a lot of wine, a lot of red wine, probably some bubbles during the day while I'm watching football. But this year I'll be in San Francisco. I'll probably go to the team meal. I'll probably have Dane bring me a plate back because I know his grandma's cooking. I hope his dad makes some oxtails, so I'll have a plate of that as well. And we'll go from there. But um, traditions I'll implement with my own family will consist of a lot of food, um, making sure we go around and, and kind of say what we're thankful for. I think that's extremely important that you give thanks uh, for not only you know, what you have, but who you have in your life. And we will watch a lot of sports, a lot of sports, because sports makes the world a better place. That is the mailbag for questions of the day. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about my Browns, so I will. There's a note on here saying that the Browns lost to the Patriots two weeks ago, and I get that. We did. And we barely beat the worst team in the NFL on Sunday. I get that. Both things can be true. But the fact of the matter is that we're 6-5. and Baker has a torn labrum. He also has something messed up with his shoulder, his knees, banged up his ankle. He's going through a lot. We just lost OBJ and we still managed to be six and five heading into a tough, tough game against the Baltimore Ravens, which I'm looking forward to watching, by the way. Lamar Jackson's coming off the sick report. You know, he had a non-COVID illness. He's sick, recovering from that. And he's going to have his hands full with our D-line. But I don't know what's going to happen with our Browns this year. I think if Baker's really, truly banged up, he might need to take a seat. He might need to rest. It might be time for him to kind of really you know, lay down and lick his wounds and um, recover for what, what's what's to, to come in store in the future for him, whether that's an extension with us or returning for the playoffs. Um, we don't know what's going to happen there, but um, I love our running game. I know we can rely on Chubb. I know we need to give Chubb more than 22 carries against the Baltimore Ravens. And... I know I said we win 11 or 12 games and only lose five or six, but we've already lost five, so I I don't know what's going to happen. I will say that I have some Patriots fans on here who love the Patriots. I'm a big fan of Mac Jones. Mac is very, very good. He's very talented. I love Cam Newton, but I see why they let Cam go. You needed no one in his way. You needed him to be able to get all the snaps and really show what he has to offer, and he's doing that, so I'm happy to see that for him. I'm happy to see that Bill Belichick is able to win without Tom Brady because I wasn't sure if it was him or Tom, to be honest, because Tom was there for so long and he was so great. I was starting to believe that Tom Brady was the reason they were so successful. And although Tom Brady is the reason they were so successful, Belichick definitely helped out, empowered him, and got the most out of him. So as a Browns fan, I can see that. I can respect that. And I salute you guys for being a very solid team. And I hope that my Browns can stay over 500 and get 11 wins because I took the over on 10 and a half. We've had some time at home, so I've been able to kind of go through uh, the cellar, reorganize it, become a member at a couple places here in Oregon where I can store more of my wine. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm also thankful for all my listeners on the Pull Up Podcast. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful to be a professional athlete and be able to play the game that I love. And I am thankful for wine. And since we're here, I'm going to tell you about the most recent wine I drank. I had two. I had a 2018 um, Shea Vineyards Chardonnay at Red Hills Market, one of my favorite markets um, in the valley, outside of the valley in Dundee Hills area. It's, it's a nice, nice place, nice establishment. Indoor, outdoor dining, indoor, outdoor seating, different types of menus, things of that nature. But I had that and I highly recommend it. Price point uh, from Red Hills Market was 40 bucks. And I also had an Antica Terra. Uh, 2017 Pinot Noir, another Oregon 
vineyard um, out here. Very, very good. More light than bold, more smooth than tannic, more dry than sweet. Higher in acidity, so it's going to make your mouth water. Earthy, minerals, smoky, cherry, raspberries, red fruits. One of Melo's favorite wines. I highly, highly recommend it. And the price point for that is around 115 bucks. I would recommend those over the holidays or anytime because they are both very, very good. Once again, I want to thank everybody for checking into the Pull Up Pod this week. Be sure to subscribe, comment, do all of those things. Make sure you're following the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And hit the show up on social at Pull Up Pod on Twitter and Instagram because we're posting fresh content all season long. And as the saying goes, don't forget to pull up. Pull up.